0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Thursday, November the 5th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on November 5, 2009, there was a shooting rampage at Fort Hood, Army Post in Texas, left 13 people dead. You probably remember that now that I've mentioned it. Major Nidell Hassan, he was an Army psychiatrist, later convicted of murder, sentenced to death. He was an avowed activist Muslim. He's still on death row, but no execution date has been set as of today. Today in 1605, the gunpowder plot, it failed. This guy named Guy Fox, he was uh, seized before he could blow up the English Parliament. He was trying to smuggle in there a whole bunch of gunpowder and it's going to light it, blow up the English Parliament. Today in 1872, suffragists Susan B. Anthony. She defied the law by attempting to cast a vote for President Ulysses S. Grant. Anthony was convicted by a judge, fined $100. She never paid the penalty. She's now famous. Today, 1912, Democrat Woodrow Wilson was elected president. In 1940, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, he won an unprecedented third term in the office. He defeated Republican challenger Wendell Wilkie. And today in 1968, Republican Richard Nixon won the presidency. He defeated Democratic Vice President Hubert H. Humphrey and American independent candidate George Wallace. Today in 1994, former President Ronald Reagan disclosed that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Sad day for many of us. Today in 2003, President Bush signed a bill outlawing partial birth abortion. Less than an hour, one hour, not one day, not one week, one hour later. A federal judge in Nebraska issued a temporary restraining order against the ban. There is that element in America there is that element in America that are obsessed with killing babies that are unwanted. It is demonic at its core. In 2007, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. Today in 2017, a gunman armed with an assault rifle, he opened fire in a small South Texas church. He killed more than two dozen. The shooter's name was Devin Patrick Kelly. He was later found dead in a vehicle, but remember what happened there? There was a couple of guys across the street at a house. They were either out on the porch or something while this service was going on at this church, and they realized what was happening. They heard the gunshots, obviously. They jumped in their pickup, and they took off after this this Devin Kelly when he got in his truck, I think it was, and took off, and they were shooting at him. And the authorities got there later, caught up with them, and uh, they found that, that Kelly was dead in his truck. And they had first reported that these two men had, had killed him, but later it was found that the from the autopsy that he had actually died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But these guys, they weren't motivated enough to go to church, but they sure jumped into action when they saw that there was a great need over across the street at the church. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama and his wife, Michelle, they got on board Air Force One. They took off for Mumbai, India. First stop on a ten-day tour through India, Indonesia, South Korea, Japan. That was one of a couple, two or three tours that Obama took. The other was through the Middle East, apologizing for America. We've made so many mistakes. We've been wrong. We've been all of this. That was the precursor to what we now see today, that America wasn't even founded in 1776. it's founded in 1619. That would be down at Jamestown area, I guess. They say that's when America was founded, and it was founded as a haven for business people to come and have slaves and build an economy with basically no overhead for them. Slave labor. That's the founding of America, according to to the people on the left, and Barack Obama is one of them. So is Joe Biden, but he doesn't know it. But the people around him certainly are as well. The Bible says in Psalm ninety-four nineteen, When anxiety was great within me, the <laughs> psalmist writes, your consolation brought joy to my soul. What this psalm tells us is that even in rough or desperate situations, we can be filled with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is not based on being happy about circumstances. Happiness and joy are two different things. Joy is down deep in our soul, and joy is related to our relationship with God and his word, not in relation to our circumstances. And that's what that psalm is telling us this morning and any time that it's read, but today. He is our consolation. God's word eases our anxiety. God can bring joy to your soul, even in the times when you're the most anxious, when you're the most stressed out, when you're going through the most difficult, almost unbearable circumstances. God's word will bring you joy. You know why? Because, first of all, it's the authoritative, infallible, word of god the eternal word of god it does not change it will not go away heaven and earth will pass away god's word will never pass away the other reason is because it is an unchanging truth in our times of flux and change and progressivism in our world in our culture today people are trying to figure out how to they don't even we don't even know who we are We have this fluid identity now. Little boys are taught that maybe they're a little girl. Maybe just because they look like a boy when they have their clothes off, maybe they're not. Honestly, I'm not overstating that. That's what Proposition 90 was about in Washington State. There is a mandated effort to indoctrinate indoctrinate and re-educate our children because of progressivism. That's at the heart of it. It's demonic. So when we read Psalm 94:19, it speaks to our circumstances today in 2020. No matter what the difficulties are, no matter what the challenges are, they may be personal, they may be collective, as America is going through a great trial right now. If you stand for righteousness, if you stand for conservatism, Judeo-Christian values. We have a man in office, in the Oval Office, who is highly imperfect, but he has stood for the principles and the values that we Christians hold dear, including the sanctity of life, particularly the sanctity of life, as no other president has. Even those who claim to be born again and are part of us. George, George W. Bush, and they have stood for righteousness, but no one has been as aggressive as President Trump. And yet we see his presidency hanging by a thread, to be honest with you. The forces of hell have come out against him, much like they did Abraham Lincoln. There were those that were so motivated to defeat Lincoln, they eventually killed him physically. But that's the spirit, then and now, that we find in our culture. So we read God's word, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Sometimes Christians are accused of being in denial. We're not in denial. We just know the truth when we see it. And we have found him. And the truth and the light is our life. In Jesus Christ. The world watched intently. America did what we do on Tuesday, day before yesterday. We voted on the most important issues to face America since, as I just said, Abraham Lincoln. We voted to decide whether our country will move decisively toward our founding values and principles or toward a leftist, secular, progressive, socialist nation looking more like a European socialist nation. Barack Obama talked about that all the time. Joe Biden, I don't know if he got that or not, but he was usually standing by his side and grinning, grinning about it. We, we do not want to become a socialist nation, most of us. There is a part of America who doesn't understand what that really means and what the impact on them, they as an individual, will be. But unfortunately, even in this context, I'm being told by fairly reputable, and it's in some of the media, which I don't think is all that reputable often, but I'm told that fewer white evangelicals supported Trump in this election, Trump-Pence, than in 2016. I'll come back to that in a moment, because that's chilling if it's true. And I'm thinking it could be, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Will the country continue as Founding Fathers envisioned our country when they alerted England's king? They were separating from him and his country. They told him why we call it the Declaration of Independence. And They gave all their grievances. They're all listed in the Declaration of Independence. And you go through that, and they're saying, here's what we're doing. And they've been telling him they had a problem for a long time, and he laughed at them, he scoffed at them, he just wrote them off. And finally, it got to a point in America where they said, we're not going to take any more of this. And we're going to find a better path for ourselves, our families, and our future. And that's why they declared their independence from the king and his oppressive ways. Because there is a point where humanity comes to a point where they just can't take it anymore. And sometimes they live in a country, and I've been in many of them as a missionary. Sometimes you come to a point where you just will do anything. You'll risk limb and life for freedom and liberty. That's what happened in America, 1776, and the run-up to 1776. Sometimes we lay it all on the line. If you've read the Declaration of Independence, you know that the last, the last part of the Declaration of Independence, these guys that signed it, They knew what they were doing, and they knew the risk. It was significant. And when they got to the bottom line, they said, We sign this with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Are we willing to do that in America? We may be facing such a situation right now. I don't know, but it could be. Or will we become the cultural Marxist nation that Kamala Harris, and should Biden be elected, she will become president. I, I, I can't imagine any scenario where that wouldn't happen. He is not capable, and everybody knows it. That's not a criticism. I'm not mocking him for sure. I understand age. I've passed my 40th birthday. So have some of you that are smiling. I get that, but we're not running for president, and he is, and that's troubling because he isn't capable from a cognitive point of view, and I profoundly, profoundly disagree with him on his philosophy, whatever that may be, because I know it doesn't stand for what I think is most important and am willing to lay my life on the line if necessary, hopefully not. He doesn't stand for that. He says he's a Catholic, he says he's a Christian. The Catholic Church says no you're not. You don't even you don't even follow the rules of your church. <clears throat> Much less the rules of God's word. So are we going to become the cultural Marxist nation that Kamala Harris, that's all she's been talking about the last couple of weeks. Bernie Sanders is standing in the shadows. He's cognitive cognitive pretty pretty sharp. I mean he's doing well. <laughs> he's thinking fairly clearly. And he's way off in left field. He wants America to be a socialist nation. He has a protege, Ocasio-Cortez. She's been advocating that for a while now. George Soros Money put her in office. She has been reelected. She's not, not going away after this election. Many questions remain, but one thing is becoming pretty clear. In fact, several things are becoming pretty clear. It's apparent that a few questions were answered on election night. In fact, Trump, the Trump campaign has now filed several lawsuits in several states today. We're standing, we're standing at a incredible crossroads in America. The deficit in Arizona, as they continue to count in the midst of one of the great battles of our nation internally. The recent tally reported from the state's largest county, Arizona, Maricopa, Joe Biden's lead in the battleground has shrunk to about 68,390 votes as of just probably an hour ago. Updated vote totals released by the county. They show Biden with 912,585 votes. Trump has 838 It's a difference of about 75,000, and then there are some adjustments, but previously they had been reporting the 887 with 85,000 votes difference. According to the Associated Press, 88% reporting, Biden has 1.4 million, Trump 1.4, 68,000 390 votes difference. That's how close this is, this race is in millions and millions and millions of votes. A candidate needs 270 electoral votes to be confirmed when it is confirmed a little later. It isn't now. It's called by the media when they say, well, Trump has won uh, Florida which he did, he has. And Biden has won XYZ. But they need 270 electoral votes. The way it stands now, based on what the media has called, keep in mind this hasn't been confirmed. But as the media has called the states, if all of that were confirmed, Biden would have 264 electoral votes of the 270 needed. Trump has considerably less at this point Arizona has 11 electoral votes and they will some at some point be finished counting Trump has filed lawsuits however in Pennsylvania Michigan Nevada over voter ballot chaos Arizona is tightening Lawsuits have been filed. That puts everything on hold. Nothing will be confirmed, obviously, until these lawsuits are sorted out. Georgia was reporting last night and again early this morning that they're going to be um, reporting their final analysis, their final vote count. Again, it, it is not certified or confirmed, but the press will call the state for either Trump or Biden. But they plan to report around noon. I, I think that would be noon their time, which as we originate live this morning, as we do every morning at 9 a.m., you may be listening to this a little later, a, little, a bit of a delay, a couple hours or at the most. But I, I would assume it would be noon their time, and that would be right now. Obviously, I'm not reading the news. I'm talking to you, so I don't know what they're doing, but we may find that out within about a half an hour. It's interesting that in the most divisive, contested presidential election in American history, even the, even the media has had to admit that there are voter irregularities happening. For example, Detroit. In a, even a, a kind of a district that's strongly Republican and, and the rest of Detroit is not, But it appears that President Trump, votes for President Trump, has been suppressed. This is why he's filed these lawsuits. They found like 600 uh, ballots in just one precinct in Michigan. This county clerk for St. Clair County, your name is uh, uh, Jay, maybe it's a a guy, Jay DeBoyer, but um, they found that some of the people working in the ballot counting there for the, for the county had been hitting the wrong button as they were putting these things in the machine, causing President Trump's totals to be a significant number off, less than they actually were. It's critical because Michigan has 16 electoral votes, and at the last counted, at the last report, There was 80,000 votes statewide difference. Even the New York Times has been admitting that, that it's that close. A poll watcher, and one of the issues that they have, and Rudy Giuliani is one of the several lawyers that are working on behalf of President Trump. There are a lot of lawyers that are working right now in these various states, and I think more lawsuits will be filed, honestly, even today and tomorrow. But a poll watcher there, who was watching them, and what they've been doing, and Giuliani is just really riled up about this. What they've been doing is they've been blocking the Republican representatives, the people who are in there to be observers. And that's, per, that's very common when they're counting uh, ballots. Even in Olympia, they allow observers in when they're counting, like for a referendum or something. We've been through that uh, process before. And they'll allow so many observers to be in there watching when they're opening, when they're counting these signatures and so on. And that's very, very common. It's not uncommon. But these guys in Michigan in particular, but in other places, but particularly Michigan, uh, Michigan, they've been putting like cardboard pieces of cardboard boxes up and shielded. And they've been demanding that these observers stand 25 feet away. Well, you can't see what's on a ballot 25 feet away. They know that. They've been keeping them out. They've been blocking them out, physically blocking them out. Well, that's what part of this lawsuit is all about. In fact, the main part of that particular lawsuit is all about. So this is kind of the context of what's going on. So at 4 a.m. on Wednesday, yesterday, 4 a.m. in the morning, here come these guys into this count, a vote counting building, this big building with rows of people, you know, that count and so on open ballots and etc. here come these guys. They drive up in a white van. They unload a suitcase and they unload some coolers, you know, like you put, you know, like Coke or Pepsi in. Yeah, that's what you should put in those coolers if you have them. It shouldn't be something that will intoxicate you because then you're giving over your decision-making to something else other than, the spirit of God that lives in you if you're a Christian. But anyway, that's a different topic. I'm talking about alcohol. But anyway, those coolers, you know what I'm talking about. They were wheeling those things in. And the, this one person took a picture of it. So these guys wheel them in and they go back there, disappear into the you know, rows of counting desks. Were there ballots in there? there that's not the way ballots arrive at these counting centers. And I mean, there were several, I mean, it could have been a thousand, at least a thousand, maybe several thousand ballots in these cases. They were rolling in there. Somebody observed. They said, people are only working six-hour shifts. Nobody's spending the night in this building. Why would they have suitcases? And that's just one incident in one place at one time at 4 a.m. in the morning. And somebody happened to get a picture of it. That's why these lawsuits have been filed, and that's that's why we're... We are where we are at this moment. So the battle rages and the counting continues, but it is with very strict oversight. One thing we learned from this is the media has been dead wrong again, just like they were in 2016 on this election. The tone of election night media coverage was eerily similar to 2016. TV's talking heads, leftist journalists, most of them are they experienced a gradual descent into madness when they realized that what they had been predicting wasn't coming to pass. There were polls that were saying on Monday evening of this week that Trump was going to lose by 16 points to Joe Biden. It wasn't even going to be close. Others had it a little bit closer, but all of them with the exception of two out of this myriad of polls and pollsters had Biden winning by 5, 6, and, as I said, up to 15, 16 points. They were calling it a red bloodbath politically. Nancy Pelosi was hyper. I mean, she was running around gibberish and just excited. It hasn't worked out for her. They've lost members in the House. The Senate looks like it's going to be held, thank God, by Republicans, That will block, and we'll talk about that on this program in another day, probably soon. That will block some of the biggest moves should Biden win this election. The Boston Globe said yesterday among the losers on election night were America's pollsters. They were. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. Way wrong. They weren't even close. Long and tedious explanations took place all day yesterday. I'm not even going to go through what they were, but one one of the explanations they made bears repeating to you. Trump supporters, one of them said this. It was a large polling company. They said Trump supporters have been lying to and ignoring pollsters in an effort to blindside Democrats and create a cover of underestimation of Trump's ability to drive turnout in rural areas and capture a higher than expected portion of the Latino vote. That's why we were wrong, they say. So it's not their fault. It's your fault. If you're if you're a Trump supporter, well, I'll tell you. One pollster said, "Well, we were wrong. I'm resigned to being flogged for another four years." Well, I'm not interested in flogging these people, but I sure would like to convince as many as possible that I can to ignore them in the future, as much as we can. They're not going to go away. They make two millions of dollars, whichever whether they're wrong or right. People keep paying them. But one of the things that emerged is that white evangelicals did not support Trump-Pence as strongly as in 2016. 2016, they received 80% of the white evangelical vote. Now there's numbers out there that say they only received 76% of the vote this time around. I don't know if that's true, but it's looking like it could be based on what I've seen. The people who did a lot of work and made a lot of money in trying to get out the evangelical boat are denying that and they're saying that Ralph Reed and others are saying, no, that's not true. And maybe it isn't, but it's out there. And we'll certainly talk about that more in the future. But it is apparent that it could be. Evangelicals did not turn out as they should have for Trump and did and have had in the past. I want to leave you with this. I believe that in this turmoil God is speaking. I don't know how this will end. We'll find out more today, more tomorrow, and over the weekend. But I do know one thing, and I say this from the bottom of my heart. I believe this with all my heart. God is in control, and whatever happens, happens. And we stay true to God. We stay focused on his word, and we're going to get through whatever is is in front of us, and we don't know. But just stand firm and don't lose your faith. Don't be shaken by anything that's happening and pray that God will give us another four years. And thank you for your support. We need it. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow.